Afternoon, church. Hallelujah. Happy New Year. For those that I haven't had the opportunity to wish, uh, wish your prosperous year ahead for you and your family. Uh, praying for us as a as a church and as individuals, and just at this point the year that we become into everything that the Lord has for us, and that we will just go into more of what He wants for us. And then, um, yeah, tell me share a bit about um, Abby. Praise the Lord, my little girl. So, so overall, I'm sure the Lord has been so good to us, so faithful to us in the season. Um, Sarika sends a love as well to you guys. Um, she's not going to be here for another couple of weeks or so. She's still busy recovering from surgery and all of that, so yeah, she won't be here. I, know, I think she really would love to be here. Yeah, yeah, we're going to church it out. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited to share. I'm going to jump straight into it and start to take the long. Um, I'm privileged to share. I was laughing a bit with myself um, in the week as I was pepping and I'm saying, you know, it's kind of preacher 101. You have to start off by saying what a privilege it is to share. <laughs> so while that's funny, it's also something that carries a lot of weight because it, it is such a weighty responsibility to share God's word, to share His word in a, in a sound way, in a way that's going to honor you. And, and that's what I want to do. And in fact, the scriptures tell us that you know that those that teach, they're going to be judged more stricter. Because imagine I, I preach one thing, but I don't look that out. And so I want to just start off by saying this, this message that I have titled The Relentless Pursuit of God. It's not one that I've got all figured out. It's not one that I'm doing so well and that I'm here to challenge you. But as the Lord's been challenging me, how did we can all be challenged together? You know, so... I was actually, this week, I was super encouraged when I came on the, the WhatsApp group on New Year's Day, and I saw everyone's messages about intimacy, and, and you know, I was so stoked, I was encouraged, because that's what my message is about, it's really, that's the crux of it, of intimacy. I was actually chatting with you on New Year's Eve, and I was telling him, um, you know, I might just want an extra week, because, you know, newborn baby, I'm not sleeping well, it's been busy, you know, we're having family in and out, coming to see the baby. And all of that, but when I saw you guys' messages, I was like so amped and so stoked. I'm like, no, let's press through. I'll prepare. I'm really I'm excited to come and share what the Lord has laid in my heart. And what, when you guys posted that message, it actually changed the way I was planning to introduce the message. And so I thought, you know what I'll do? I'll actually start with this word intimacy. Because the Bible has a lot to say about it in different words, in different forms. It tells us what our intimacy is, what it should be like, how it should be lived out. And it even gives us warnings on what our intimacy should not be like. And so words, for example, like the word zeal and devotion or even passion, it tells us what our intimacy is meant to be like. So this word zeal in particular, it's a Greek word that kind of means to be emotionally inflamed, to be boiling over, to be burning hot. And so it's got this idea actually of a pot of water that's on a fire and the fire is burning so hot that the water is boiling over. And so it kind of hints a bit towards what Jesus says, you know, when He, when he fills us with His Holy Spirit and fills us with springs of living waters that's going to be overflowing. Amen. And then it tells us also in the Bible what our intimacy is. And there's this word in the New Testament that's oftentimes translated for know and it's this Greek word called gnosko. And it actually means to know by experience, to know by relationship, to know by intimacy, instead of being known by intellect. And so that's what it means. And in John 17 verse 3, um, this is the word that Jesus uses when He describes what eternal life is. 
He says that, And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you sent. And so he says that you may know still God, that you may know Him by experience, that you may know Him by intimacy, that you may know Him by relationship with Him. Mm-hmm. And this word is actually also a Jewish idiom for the deepest level of intimacy between a husband and a wife in marriage, and that's sexual intercourse. And this word is used both in the Old Testament and the New. So when it says Abraham knew his wife, this is what it referred to. Or in the New Testament, Joseph knew not Mary. This is the, the idiom that they used to describe this. And so there's actually this beautiful picture of marriage and what lens we can view our intimacy through. But now, we have to be careful that we don't view our intimacy with the Lord through the lens of what earthly relationship looks like. Because then it starts to become a little bit dangerous for us. Instead, we need to, to hold to what the Scripture actually teaches on that. You know, a lot of people actually go as far as saying that, you know, marriage is a picture of the Gospel. And I think the Scriptures would agree with that. that there's this beautiful lens of what intimacy can look like. But to give an example of what intimacy shouldn't look like, you see, when, when the, in the early type of sense, you see, when a couple starts to date, in this initial time when they meet, there's this pursuit of this person that happens. You know, you take on dates, you can't wait to spend time with her, you check on late hours of the night, and when you go on these dates, you know, you make sure your hair's done, your face is in, your smile eyes, and you know, you, you know, Marvin, I'll look at your cooks there, and, and you know, you do all these things to win this person's heart, right? And so then the relationship now starts to become serious. And then you go from proposals, proposals, and then into, and into marriage, and then, it's, <laughs> and then you end what the world now refers to as the honeymoon phase. Now what this is meant to mean is that this initial phase is a feeling where you love it up and where you're excited to get home, and you know, you're posting pictures of your wife, and my beautiful wife, and you know, the macaroni and cheese, and you know, pictures of all of that. But at some stage you're meant to leave this honeymoon phase according to the world, and you're actually meant to come to this place of comfortability, a place where you can kind of let your hair down a bit, where you can take your foot off the gas, and that type of thing. And then you even start to do things that you would not normally have done, because now you become comfortable. And that's almost the target in the world. Now while that's a safe thing for us to do in earthly relationships, that's something that's absolutely deadly for us to do in our relationships to the Lord. Because God's not calling us to be a people that takes their foot off the gas, He's not calling us to be a people that stops pursuing Him. He's calling us to be a people that's relentlessly pursuing Him. A people that's boiling over with passion and devotion to the Lord. And so, the scripture also tells us about examples of what our intimacy should not look like. So, passage in Revelation chapter 2, verse 1 to 6. A verse or passage that really frightens me. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The words of Him holds the seven stars in His right hand. Who walks among the seven golden lampstands and says, I know your works, your toil, and how patient, your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and find them to be false. And I know you are enduring patiently, and you are bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not done really. So I have this against you. You have lost your first love. And he says to them, Remember therefore where you have fallen from. Repent and do the works that you did at first. If not, I'll come and I'll remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. And you can stop there. Now why this verse is really scary to me is because Jesus starts off by actually commending these guys for a lot of things that they really did well. On the outside they looked like a really healthy church. 
Because they held the assignments of God's word. They tested who the false apostles were. They endured through trials and tribulations and all those things. But Jesus says to them, but this is the one thing that I've got against you. Is that you've lost your first love. That your passion, your desire, your fire in your heart that you had for me, that's not the same. And he says that you remember where you've fallen from. Repent and if you don't, I'll come and I'll remove your lampstand from you. Now if you know anything about the church in Ephesus, these guys were saved radically. They started off so well. You know, they were saved so radically that it impacted the economy. Now in a world that was pagan, in a world where idols were sold and it was big business, the church in Ephesus, that region was saved so radically that that people started losing business. And then they actually started a riot against the church and against Paul. Those people were delivered from demons. They were saved out of witchcraft. They came and they burnt their magic books. And if anyone sat under the soundness of God's word, that's these guys. These guys sat under the sound teaching of God's word. That Paul working into them. That Timothy working into them. And even at some stage, the apostle John had worked into them. And so John, actually Paul, for three years, each and every day, day and night, he preached and worked into this church. So if anyone sat under God's word, it's these guys. Mm-hmm. But at some stage, complacency started to creep in. At some stage, they started to take the foot of the gas. At some stage, their passion and their fire for Jesus it just wasn't the same anymore. And he says that if you don't repent, I'll come and I'll remove your lampstand from you. It's a verse that frightens me. Because what, what that tells me is that we can know all the scripture. We can know and quote scripture, we can even serve in ministry, we can do all those things. But if your passion and your fire for Jesus is not the same, then you're in danger of Him coming to remove your lampstand from you. Now the Lord challenged me a while ago on this. Now I come out of the Word of Faith, Prosperity Movement, you know, and I've been in that movement when I got saved for the first couple of years. And when the Lord had saved me out of it, I'd seen I was deceived and how dangerous false doctrine is and all those things. And then something I really became passionate about was contending for the faith. Um, they're holding to the soundness of God's word. It's something that, that I had such a lot of passion for. When I met with guys like Marvin, Dimitri, and, and those guys who go on hikes, and the things that I would talk about is just how false this doctrines are and doctrine, and that was kind of my thing. And then I have friends that still in this movement, right? And so I've oftentimes tried to explain to them the signs of God's word and all those things, and it just wouldn't work. And so oftentimes I would see these statuses, I would see the things they talk about, and I'd be like, ah, little weird, little skew here, little this, little that. And I felt the Lord challenge me on this. Like, son, why are you worried about how skewed the doctrine is? Have you seen their passion for me? Sure. Have you seen their fire for me? What about you? Now I'm going to ask you the same question. What's your fire for Jesus living like? Is your fire in your heart still burning brightly? Now I'm not saying that you mustn't hold the sound doctrine you need to. But what's the use? You have all the sound doctrine, but your passion's not going to die for Jesus. Sure. Mm. Then we just like this church that started off well, and then at some stage, Jesus had to warn them. If you don't repent of coming out, remove your lampstand from you. Because Jesus is not calling us to be a people. Again, that takes the foot of the gas. He's calling us to be a people that pursues Him. A people with passion for Him. And then there's an example in the scripture of what our intimacy should look like. 
Philippians 3, verses 3 to 17. So, I'm not going to read everything. I'm going to probably read just over verse 11. Pull that up. Seconds. Do you know what you're doing? Sorry. <laughs> okay. Here we go. And now from from three to eleven. Three to eleven. Three to eleven. So three. Okay. Three. I'll just carry on. So, Paul actually starts this passage of scripture when they pull it up, you'll see it there, and he mentions all these things. He says, if anyone has any reason to boast in the flesh, he says, I have a lot. And then he, he lists all these things, and, okay, let me read it. For we are the real circumcision, those who worship the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, and if anyone else thinks there's reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, even of the Hebrews, as to the Lord, Pharisee, as to zeal, persecuting the church. Sorry. But he says that I found all those things as as rubbish for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. For the surpassing worth of knowing Him. That all those things, he lists all these accomplishments that he has accomplished. And he says, I count those things as nothing. That those things mean nothing. The value of knowing Jesus Christ far surpasses everything else that I've accomplished in my life. That that's the main thing for me is to know Him. That He's the pearl of great price. That He's the treasure in the field that a man sells everything for. That's how Paul sees Jesus. That's the vision that he has of Jesus. And if we want to be a people that pursues God's heart and intimacy, then that has to be our vision. Then we have to see Him. That Jesus is worth more than your career. That He's even worth more than your marriage. It's worth more than your ambitions. That is nothing that comes close to Jesus. That has to be our vision of Him. If we're going to pursue His heart, then that's what we need to see. I was praying for us and praying for me as the Lord's been challenging me. I'm like, Lord, let this always be my vision of You, Lord. That I would see You always, Lord, as, as the pearl of great price, as the one that is worth more than everything else. Oh God, that saved me. The fact that I can know this God, but Lord, let that always be the main thing for me. And then Paul goes on, and, and I'm going to kind of paraphrase, and he says that, you know what, I'm, I've not yet attained, I still press on to the goal of the upward calling of Jesus Christ. And even after all these years, and after all these things that Paul had accomplished in his ministry, walking with the Lord for many years, I'd listed all these accomplishments, but he even had more. He planted so many churches. He'd raised somebody from the dead. He's healed the sick. He's prayed for the blind. All those things. And he says, the goal for me is still to know Jesus. Sure. That's still the main thing. That even though I've walked with the Lord all these years, all I really want is to know Him. That's the goal. You can never know Jesus too much. The riches in Christ is unsearchable. And this is true Christian maturity because he then goes on to say, if anyone considers themselves mature, let him think like this. Let this be his mindset. This should be the way you think. While the world says to know more is maturity, 
Paul says here to know Jesus more is too maturity. A man that desperately knows how much he needs to know Jesus. And he goes on to say, now imitate me. Join imitating me and other sex writers. We have plenty of examples like this in the scripture. Great men of God that we can imitate. But even right here among us, we have men and women like this that we can imitate. Now I love the Lord and the Nikki because they are, they are such an example of the Lord's grace to me. Now they're not going to like what I'm saying because they want to aim low, they want to stay low. But this is the kind of examples that I want to follow. This is people that have passion for Jesus. Even after walking to the Lord all these years, they probably served the Lord longer than I've been alive. But dude, have you seen the passion for Jesus? When Martha posts a verse in the group, have you seen the overflow out of their hearts that comes into those messages? That's a passion. That's people that are on fire for Jesus. That's the goal. That's the bar. And if I grow old, the Lord permits, that's who I want to follow. Come on. That's the examples I want to be like. But in the scripture, we also have amazing examples. There's examples like Moses. If anyone had seen God move radically in his life, it's Moses. He meets God at the burning bush. And at some stage, the sea split and all these miracles and all these things that happened in Moses' life. Then Moses meets God on the mountain and he prays his prayer. Lord, show me your wings. That I may know you. Show me your glory, Lord. Show me. I want to know you more. Even after all these years, this is this man's cry. I want to know you more. Do you want to know you more? Sure. Do you want to know Jesus more? Moses used the excuse of knowing God to know God even more. How much more do you want to know him? And then there's the man, Abraham, the man that God calls friend. So how we love to sing that, oh God calls me friend. <laughs> but the friend of God was nothing that he would withhold from God. Even the promised son, he was willing to lay down for God. When God said to the friend of God, lay the promised son down, without hesitation, Abraham goes, I'm willing, Lord. Now you might say, no, but Abraham saw that God is good and he knew God could raise him from the dead. But that didn't make it easier because it says it's a son that you love, lay him down. And this is actually the first time the word love appears in the entire Bible in the context of a father's love for his son. In the context of a father laying his son down in sacrifice, the picture of the gospel. What are you willing to lay down for your intimacy with the Lord? Sure. Is that something you've considered? If God had asked you today to lay something down, would you be willing for your intimacy with Him? What about the man of the gods on God? David. Oh, how we love that time. The women be men and women of the gods are, don't we? But in the dry and barren land, in the land where there's no water, you know what he cries out? My soul thirsts for you, Lord. Oh, how my soul is thirsting for you. In a land of lack. If I don't get that, this, if I don't get water, I'll die, but I'm thirsty for you, Lord. That's what David wants. Now we don't live in a land of black, we live in a land of plenty for. We live in a land that has instant everything, instant messages, social media, we have online, we can download, pay, buy tools, order, all those things. Social media, Netflix, the works. And what is your soul thirsting after? What is your soul thirsting after? Is it after those things or it's after God? Now the scriptures tell us that David wanted to honor God. He was never commanded to build the temple, but he said in his heart that I honor God and I build the temple for him. He was never commanded. Now once I heard the sermon, it says, you know what's the difference between um, the commandment and honor? 
He says, well, he was obedient to the commandment, there's a set rules that he said, I'll obey that. But honor says, even though there's no commandment, I'll still honor God. Now there's no rule that says we can't have social media, Facebook or any of those things. But if that gets in the way of your intimacy with the Lord, would you honor Him? Would be, that be the thing that you would do to honor the Lord? Now what about Daniel, a man known for his devotion? A man so devoted to the Lord that his enemies conspire against him and they can find nothing against him. They think, I'll use his intimacy, his devotion to the Lord against him. And they approach the king and they tell the king, let's make, they must make it illegal for anyone to pray to any God other than him. Because they know you couldn't keep Daniel away from praying or seeking the Lord for 30 days. But never mind 30 days, Daniel couldn't go a few hours without the Lord. That's it, as soon as the law was signed and Daniel knew it, immediately prayed that it's always done three times a day. Because Daniel, he valued his devotion with Jesus. He valued his devotion with the Lord. He put a value on it. How much do you value your devotion with the Lord? Is that something that you value? Acts 2.42 There were people devoted. We always talk about that. This is the, the church that we want to build upon. A people that's devoted. What's your devotion like? What is your devotion to Jesus like? Well, we're outloading everything. We're devoted to one another. We're devoted to fellowship. We're devoted to fear. Are you devoted to your church? Is that something you're devoted to? God's calling us to be a people of devotion. Now the scripture has all these amazing examples of people we can follow. All these things. We know God is not calling us again. I'll say this. He's not calling us to be a people that takes the foot of the gas. He's not calling us to be a people that becomes comfortable or complacent. He's calling us to be a people that pursues Him relentlessly. And I want to come to land with, with this. I want to come back to the church in Ephesus. You know what's scary about this church in Ephesus? A church that at once impacted the economy of a, of a country. It seems like they didn't take heed to the warning of Jesus. Maybe for a little while and did. But at some point it fell away. Today Ephesus, which is Turkey, is 99% Muslim. This church had fallen away. They hadn't taken heed to the warning of Jesus. Now ever since 4.12, I've been feeling that the Lord has wanted us to know Him more. All His words has been coming up. The Lord wants us to be at that place of the awe and wonder of knowing Him. That that's the main thing. I come on the website, the Joshua website, and all these sermons are talks about the same thing. Peter's come up, Tony's come up, and they preach all these messages to all us guys who need to turn to Jesus. And then on the WhatsApp group, in everyone's quiet, I'm halfway on it. Intimacy, draw close to the Lord. Here as a year, you can hear what the Spirit has to say. Would you take heed to the warning of Jesus Christ? Now I'll ask you guys just for a moment. Let's close your eyes. There's two things that, that Jesus can do with a candlestick that I see in the scripture. The first one is for those that don't repent. For those that don't turn to him, he says, I'll come and I'll remove your lampstand from you. And then the second one I see in Matthew 12, 20, a prophetic word that's in Isaiah that Matthew quotes. He says, a bruised reed I will not break. A smoldering wick I will not let go out. 
And it's this picture of a fire that's about to go out. He says to those that's turning to him, those that yields to him, he says, I will not let your fire go out. I will not let your passion go out. God's calling us today into deep intimacy with Him. And if that's you today, if your fire and your passion for Jesus is not the same as what it once was, the Lord is calling today. The Lord is calling you to respond to you. Now, the circumstances of life may have happened. You know, the busyness of life may have affected you. I mean, you might even be caught up in sin that you just feel so stuck in and your fire is just not burning brightly for Jesus as it once was. The Lord's asking you to respond. With all eyes closed, if that's you today, will you please raise your hand so I can pray for you that the Lord would set you on fire again. That the Lord would come and just burn a passion in you. Thank you. But I still close for all those that, that are still sitting and haven't raised their hands. I also want to pray for us. You know, every year we celebrate New Year is another year closer to the Lord Jesus returning. And it says He's coming for the people that's eagerly expecting Him. The people whose lampstands are full. The people who's burning with passion for Him. Now this beautiful picture in the Old Testament of how the Lord brings the fire to the altar. And he commands the priests that they keep that fire burning. And we are royal priesthood. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Lord is calling us to steward the fire and the passion that you have in your hearts for Him. He's calling you to steward that well. I also want to pray for us that in this next year, in 2024, while trials and tribulations may come, while the good times of life may even come, the things that we draw you from Him, that you would keep your eyes on Jesus. That you would keep your eyes firmly upon Him. That you would pursue His heart relentlessly. That you would steal the fire in your heart for Him. Let's pray. Lord, I first want to pray for those people, Lord, that have raised their hands, O oh God. Lord, those that feel that the fire and the passion in your heart is just not the same anymore, Lord. That something has gone wrong. But Lord, you see a bruised reed you will not make. A smoking wick you won't let it go out, Lord. I pray even right now, Lord, Holy Spirit, would you come and breathe upon them, Lord. Lord John said that he baptizes with water, Lord, but you will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Oh God, would you even come and baptize them with flesh, oh God? Would you come and pour your Spirit upon them, oh God? Would you revive even the things that are dead, Lord? And if anyone here, Lord, is stuck in sin, oh God, Lord, would you break them out? Lord, would you even break them free from that sins, Lord? Lord, would you break them from the bonds of that thing, oh God, who the Son sets free is free indeed. Oh Lord, come and breathe upon them, Lord. Come, oh God, in the power of your might, Lord. And oh God, we pray for the rest, Lord. Oh God, this year is long. We might be faced with many things this year, Lord. But God, I pray that you would help us to steward the fire in our hearts well for you. That we would be a people, a God, that would relentlessly pursue you, a God. That we would be a people of passion for you. That we would be a people that burns brightly for you, Lord. Oh Lord, keep us at that place of the awe and wonder of Jesus Christ. Oh God, that our vision of you would still be one that you are the treasure in the field that a man has everything for, Lord. Oh God, let us just stay at that place.
Come and help us in our weakness, Lord. Come and help us, Lord. And God, pour your spirit upon your church. Help us to keep our eyes on you so the things of this world will grow faintly dim. Oh God, even help us from complacency. A complacency that so can often masquerade itself as maturity. Oh Lord, help us to never be complacent. And even if we have been, Lord, shake us out of that, Lord. In Jesus' wonderful name. Amen.